The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the, to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I think it's especially at this time of year, for me at least, and maybe for you, that I really do feel like I have one foot in two different worlds. Because we had just celebrated that wonderful Christmas Eve, and with all of the wonder of that night, all of the beauty, the starry skies, the angels singing, and then we have the week following Christmas, and it seems like it's all about getting ready for New Year's. So I have one foot there, and I have another foot over in Christmas yet. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's not just out there that we feel that. We may even feel that somewhat this morning, having listened to this particular gospel passage, because the passage we have brings us to another kind of reality with regard to the gospel story. After the 8 o'clock sermon this morning, uh, at the service at 8, El Spinney uh, stopped at the door on her way out. She said she can't hear this lesson without thinking of one of the Clark children. Uh, he was a former rector, and this was his child. And I think she had this child in her Sunday school class. And she said that they had looked at this particular passage, and all the children had drawn a picture of it, depicting it. And there was, uh, in this uh, little boy's uh, picture, was Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and a black spot up in the upper right-hand corner. And she said, could you explain your picture and he says, well, this is Mary, this is Joseph, this is baby Jesus, and this is the flea. <laughs> so we maybe all hear this, this account a little differently. <laughs> I think it helps us uh, this morning to realize that part of what Matthew was doing is similar to what Luke was doing. And I talked a little bit about that in my sermon Christmas Eve that he's really presenting an encomium, which was a very stylized uh, piece of writing, to uh, be in praise of a great person and to impute honor to that person. And so we see that, I think, as well in Matthew. And like Luke, Matthew's point is not just about the birth of Jesus, 
and about what happens immediately afterward. But rather it's in praise of God, of all that God has done for God's people. And I think in some ways we see that even more clearly in this gospel from Matthew. Those who heard this account would have recognized some things from the Hebrew scriptures that I think were very intentional by by the writer of Matthew. Joseph, uh, you'll recall from what we've just heard, was a dreamer of dreams and he interpreted them. He had two dreams where an angel appeared, and in one of them, the angel said that they must go to Egypt in order to uh, avoid the terror that was going to befall the children, those that were two years old and younger, who were boys, in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. That's the part, unfortunately, left out of our section of the gospel this morning, the slaughter of the innocents. That, too, is a part of this Christmas story from Matthew. And so the family flees and we hear about this man, Joseph, uh, the one who is going to be as a father to Jesus. Well, those who would have heard that name would also have remembered another dreamer, Joseph from the Old Testament, who dreamed dreams and interpreted them and finally predicted that seven year famine that eventually would bring his family into Egypt where they would be saved. And Matthew would have had little difficulty, I think, in making that connection very clear to people as they heard this story. But he goes on, I think, and draws even more clear links. Uh, And and sometimes it's very overt. Of course, he talks about fulfillment of Scripture, even though he seems to stretch some of the meaning of Old Testament Scripture. But he's talking about a clear connection in terms of God's action now in the life of the people at that time and God's actions in the life of Israel as recorded in Hebrew scriptures. It was Joseph who brought his family to Egypt in Genesis. And it's Joseph who brings his family to Egypt in Matthew. It was the uh, political authorities who were so concerned in that Old Testament scripture that they uh, about the possibility that the Hebrew people would grow in number and overthrow them, that there was a decree that all of the children should be killed so that they wouldn't increase in population. And you remember that one of them, Moses, was put out on the river and was later found and saved. There was also a boy child saved from death. That was Moses. And there's a boy child now saved from death by going to Egypt, Jesus. Moses led the first exodus. Jesus leads the second exodus. And so for Matthew, I think what he's showing us very clearly is that Israel's story is now Jesus' story. And for those who heard this uh, enconium of Matthew in praise of Jesus, the parallels would have been so clear And they would have been reminded that God does indeed take care of God's people. It is God's faithfulness. It's God's perseverance. It is God's provision that saves God's people. This Jesus has come to give life. And to those especially who are suffering, who live in despair, or who have lost hope. Many of our carols are probably overly sentimental. And we hear, of course, especially in the secular culture, all of these Winterfest songs that are about snow and about silver bells and all sorts of other things. 
But I think perhaps the carol that comes closest to what we should hear about who Jesus is and why he came among us is really found in the Song of Mary, the Magnificat. I'd like you to take a prayer book from the pew rack in front of you. It's the the red book. And turn to page 50. And there you'll find the Song of Mary, the Magnificat, and it's in right one. And the reason I chose that was because for many of us who uh, grew up in the church uh, reading morning prayer or singing morning prayer or evening prayer, we'll remember it especially with these words. So let us say this together, including the Gloria that's at the end. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their throne, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath opened his people Israel, and the promise of their forefathers. Abraham and his seed forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Mary's song is, first of all, a praise to God, giving thanks to God for what God is doing. But it also gives insight into what's going to happen when this holy child shall come. And in essence, everything's going to be turned upside down. It's all going to be different. And it's going to be seen from a different perspective. And essentially what she says is that the mighty will be brought low. And think about that in terms of those living under oppression as they were at the time of of Jesus. And the humble and meek shall be exalted. And the hungry will be fed. I think it's extremely important for us to at one time celebrate and give thanks for the wonder and the beauty of Christmas Eve and even for those sentimental and beautiful carols that we love to sing every year. But we must not lose sight of the fact that the one who comes among us as God with us, as the anointed one of Israel, as the Messiah, comes into a real world, not an imaginary one comes into a world of refugees where he himself knew what it was to be a refugee. By the way, I I think I found on the U.N. site this past couple of days that there are now 14 million refugees throughout the world. And it's such a crisis that in many places there's not enough uh, infrastructure in order to even care for them. And then we know, of course, of the possibility of of dislocation of great numbers of people as a result of global warming, either because of a lack of water or because of too much water. Jesus came into a world that was torn by strife and also had always over it the shadow of an oppressor 
and the need for just trying to get by from day to day. And so this Jesus came into a family of little means, born to an unwed mother, and gave his life in a sense as one always offering himself to the world around him. He grew up in an insignificant backwater town, a place where could anything good, they would say, come out of Nazareth. And yet, that was God's plan. And we wouldn't have done it that way. And perhaps this is one of the greatest examples of how God's ways are not our ways. But I thank God that God chose to do it the way God did. Because at Christmas, we can remember that nothing, nothing is, is too much for God to overcome. Nothing can stand in the way of what God hopes for God's people. And those who live with a sense of hopelessness, those who face difficult times, those who live on the very edge and wonder from day to day, how will they do it? If they only can look to the one who says nothing is impossible, because this is the God, this is the one of whom the angels sing, and we sing with them 2,000 years later, glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. It's still Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you. Amen.